This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. I imagine if we were to compare notes in terms of our Christmas experience as children, we would have a lot in common. Uh, at the top of the list would be, the, uh, would be suffering through the long, agonizing wait while counting down the days to Christmas. And I don't know if you can remember, but I can remember as a kid seemed that the days right before Christmas were like the longest days of the year. As kids, we all probably had something else in common. It's confession time. This won't leave the room. How many of you actually went on a search to find the hidden gifts your parents had bought you? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Um, One more confession. How many of you opened the gift and got it out and played with it? Anybody? Yeah. Officer Baker, that sounds exactly like something he would do. How many of you, one more thing, how many of you broke it? Anybody broke the gift? You're, you're lucky because I've heard of that happening before. That the weight was so hard. But the great thing was that no matter how long it seemed, Christmas Day eventually arrived. <clears throat> Never did we have to go... What, what happened? I, I guess Christmas never came this year. We, we never had to do that. There, there was always the certainty that Christmas would arrive every year on the 25th of December. Well, that dynamic of, of waiting is the dynamic that set up that very first Christmas 2,024 years ago or so. And contrary to what most people think, Jesus probably wasn't born in the year one. He wasn't born in the year zero. Scholars believe that he was probably born in the year four BC. But anyway, if you were raised in in church, you know that for generations, and in fact, many, many generations, there had always been a handful of Jewish people. They, They were we might call them a remnant who, who waited every single day of every single week, of every single month, of every single year, not for the arri- arrival of Christmas, not for the arrival of Santa Claus. They had waited for the arrival of Messiah. And they did not just wait casually, but they lived their daily lives in a very strict obedience to God's commands because they truly believed, listen, they truly believed that that particular day could be the day that Messiah would come onto the scene. But unlike the several days or a couple of weeks wait that we as kids went through waiting for Christmas, the weight of these Jewish people went on for years. In fact, it went on for generations. Generation after generation after generation after generation of waiting for Messiah. But listen, Messiah never came for them. It wasn't like Christmas where Christmas finally rolled around. No, their weight was never rewarded with the appearance of Messiah. They went to their graves and no Messiah. And as you can imagine, as centuries went by, many of the Jews pretty much gave up. They just kind of peeled off. They just kind of flaked off and abandoned their strict faith and began to question everything. They questioned, is the concept of Messiah just a fairy tale? During that time, there were plenty of Jews that left their faith. 
But what I want to point out and, and what this lesson is about today is that there was always a remnant. Every generation always had a small group of people that never wavered in their faith. They prayed every day. They expected every day. They lived every day as if this might be the day that Messiah would show up. Today I want to introduce you to two of those people that never wavered in their faith. And Pastor Darren, thanks for being in sync <laughs> Uh, we want to talk about them. He mentioned them, and I, I, I hope you have your Bibles. Again, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, this account is so relevant for us today because at some point in our Christian experience, if you haven't already gone through this, you will. You will eventually find yourself in a tough period of waiting, and you will begin to question some things. You will begin to question why God seems so distant. You will begin to question why, why am I doing this? Why am I attending church when I could be doing other things? Why, why am I serving in a ministry even if it seems to do no good, nobody appreciates my effort? Why am I giving my tithe? You know, things are already tight financially. Why am I trying to obey the principle, principles of morality and not just move in with her, or move in with him. A am I doing all of this just because my parents taught me this? Is, is this myth? Is this superstition? At some point in all of our lives, there will be days, there will be weeks, there will be months, perhaps years, where in our attempts to be good and faithful Christian people, we will begin to doubt and wonder and question is there anything to this? Well, if you've ever been there, I have. Personally, I have. But if you've ever been there, this Christmas story is for you. And the two people that we will focus on today, a husband and a wife, not Joseph and Mary, but people several decades older than they were, I think that you will find that their story is your story, and, and their story is my story. Here's how it begins. Luke 1, 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, that's the husband, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, she's obviously the wife, was also, listen, a descendant of Aaron. Now, the first super important thing I want to point out is that both Elizabeth and Zechariah were from the priestly family of Israel, which basically means they were preacher's kids. You know, back in those days, in family lines, once a preacher's family, always a preacher's family. Seriously. I mean, preachers, or, or they called them priests back then, came from the family line of Aaron, and so the males of each generation would become priests generation after generation. And so when, when it came to both Zachariah and Elizabeth, or we could call them Zach and Liz, more than likely their fathers were priests, their grandfathers were priests, their great-grandfathers, their great-great-grandfathers, and on and on were priests. Verse 6. Notice this key statement. Both of them were upright in the sight of God. So they were not fakes. They were not hypocrites. If you would have hired a private investigator to follow them around, they would have found no dirt on them. Upright in the sight of God, observing all, all the Lord's commands. And if you ever studied Judaism or read the Old Testament, they had a lot of commands. 
I mean, I don't even like to write, read through all of those commands. Uh, this couple lived it out. They did it right, observing all the Lord's commands and regulations blamelessly. And, and, and here's what's amazing. They were following God despite the fact that for the last several hundred years, maybe even up to 700 years or so, at least outwardly, God had seemingly done little or nothing for the nation of Israel. They were in a season where it appeared that there was little to no evidence that God was working in their country anymore. Kind of reminds me of today. Do you ever sometimes wonder, is God in America anymore? That's the season they were in. Yet these two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, would get up day after day after day, live their lives the right way, believing that each day might be the day that God would keep His promise and send Messiah to deliver them. Something else I want to point out. Not only were they faithful to God during... Um, the, the silence and even perceived absence, Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful despite some deep disappointments in their personal lives. Look at the next verse, verse 7. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. Some of you know about this, but uh, sometimes this is so painful, couples can't really talk about it. But but Scripture just puts this out on the table and lets us know that Zach and Liz are faithful to God, yet this, this God that they're faithful to leaves them without kids. And, and in this culture, it was always the woman's fault because all they knew was that the woman couldn't get pregnant, and so they assumed it was her. And Plus, in this culture, and I don't mean this to be offensive, but in that culture 2,000 years ago, that was all a woman was considered good for. Women had no political worth. They, they didn't have value in the workplace. They were almost always uneducated. On top of that, there was this religious stigma that, you know, they believed that God granted children to women unless they had done something really bad. And so for a woman not to be able to get pregnant, there was the belief that God was punishing her for a reason. Look how this verse ends. And they were both well along in years. But, but here's... If I could just call this, who was it? Francis Chan wrote a book, you know, Crazy Love. Well, this is, uh, this is, this is crazy faith right here. It's ridiculous. This is fascinating. And, and if I can get through this, uh, get through the next few minutes without goosebumps and without tears, it'll probably be about the first time. But, but for Zach and Liz, their entire faithfulness to God was based on a promise made to Abraham 2,000 years earlier. Not 2,000 years ago from today, but 2,000 years ago from when they lived in that first century, 4,000 years ago from now. God had appeared to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And try to track it because this is important. God said, I will bless all nations because of you. I will make your name great. And in a limited way, that did happen. Because after God gave Abraham this promise... Abraham finally had a son, who then also had a son, who then had a bunch of sons, moved to Egypt, became a nation, the nation of Israel, moved back to their land, the promised land, and then things began to take off because there was David, there was the golden age of Israel through Solomon, and if there ever were a time for God to leverage the nation of Israel to bless all peoples of the earth, it was during the time of Solomon, so up to this point, it appeared God was on Israel's side. 
But then it all began to unravel. The nation split. There were wars. There were a few good kings. There were a whole bunch of bad kings. And and between the time of Solomon up until our account today when Zechariah and Elizabeth lived, the nation of Israel, and check this out, the nation of Israel changed hands over 25 times. It would be like America being taken over by enemy nations 25 times. For example, the Syrians took them over, the Babylonians took them over, the Greeks took them over, the Persians took them over, the Romans took them over. It was like they became the punching bag of, of, of the world and they were even exiled out of their country for 70 years and, and at different points they didn't even have an army. The idea that somehow the entire world would be blessed through the nation of Israel was so far-fetched. Well, finally, uh, to add insult to injury, and, and I was researching this a few days ago in, in the works of uh, the historian Josephus. And in fact, I, I brought along his uh, history book here with me this morning. I wanted to reference just a few things that I read. But in, in 65 B.C., Pompey the Great, the, the, the Roman general, broke through fortifications and, and, and marched into Jerusalem. In fact, let me just reference here. It, here's what says it. Um, the, the enemy poured in. Uh, poured in they, uh, they, they had a battering engine, and they broke down the walls, and the enemy poured into Jerusalem. And, and there was such an incredible slaughter that jo- Josephus says that... Um, there were about 12,000 Jews that, that, that were killed at that time. And, and of course, the Jews did not want the oppression of the Romans. And so what Josephus says is, is all of a sudden, these Jews, they started going to cliffs and throwing themselves off of cliffs. They would just jump off because they did not want to be overtaken by, by the Romans. And, and because the Romans were coming in and just, you know, killing people and burning houses and but once Pompey and, and, and the army got into the city of Jerusalem, they did the very first, the, the very worst thing that any foreign army could do. You know what that was? They went up to the temple. And, and there at the temple, they, they began to push past the temple guards, and, and they went into the temple enclosure. In fact, let me just kind of show you a, a drawing here uh, that, that gives you this right here would be kind of the Temple Mount area, and, and that's, not a, uh, that's, not a, uh, that's not a small area. In fact, this area would encompass about 35 acres is what, what that is. Now, so the, uh, the Roman army, they, they came in and, and they started going uh, into all of these uh, different enclosures, different courtyards, and you know, each courtyard had, okay, certain people come, come, can come into this courtyard and then they can't go past it. And then, you know, the next was a little bit more secure and, and a little bit more exclusive and, and on into here. Well, what Pompey and his army did, they kept breaking in to the different courtyards and getting in closer and closer and closer. They marched in here. This is called the Court of the Women. And they went on into here. And there's the altar right there. And this is just breathtaking as I was reading, uh, in, you know, from, from Josephus. But what Pompey the Great did, broke past the temple guards, 
and rushed past the priests, went into this very exclusive area, and this building right here, that's where the holy place is, and then there was a curtain that divided it, and right there is called the Holy of Holies. For those of you that maybe can't see, uh, right there, Holy of Holies right there. Now, um, the, this curtain that, that divided the holy place um, between the Holy of Holies, it was massive. And, and I was researching that. They said that it was so thick and so heavy that it took 300 priests to handle the curtain. It was so heavy. Now, remember the Holy of Holies was, was the place where, where, where the Jews, and, and I think my, my pointer is just about to go, but um, the, the Holy of Holies was the place where the Jews believed that God dwelled. And, and, and so this was the place where only the high priest could go once a year, and he would purify himself. And then tradition has this, and Scripture doesn't have all of this, but tradition has that they would begin to, they would tie all kinds of bells onto his robes. And and so that way, while he's moving around in the Holy of Holies, they could hear the bells ringing. But if the bells stopped ringing, they knew that because there was risk, they knew that God had probably stricken him dead. And so they had tied ropes onto his legs. And if the bell stopped ringing, then they would drag his body out. Because if they would go in there, of course, they, they would be killed. But, but Pompey, the, the pagan Roman general, <clears throat> marched into all of these different courtyards, past the holy place. And no doubt the priest gasped as Pompey the Great, along with other Roman soldiers, pushed that heavy, thick curtain aside and walked into the Holy of Holies. And, and I'm sure the priests expected there to be thunder and lightning. <laughs> that they were expecting that God would strike them all dead. I mean, I mean, it was even risky for a high priest to go in there once a year after he had purified himself. Because they were, if there was anything in his life, then there was the thought that God would strike him dead. And, and Pompey was certainly not a priest. He was a pagan Roman general that more than likely followed the Roman god of Jupiter. But, but as Pompey and his soldiers walked into the Holy of Holies, there was no thunder, there was no lightning, and Josephus says that Pompey and his soldiers didn't plunder, didn't loot, didn't destroy anything in the Holy of Holies. They looked around, and then, can you imagine how the priests had to be in total shock as Pompey the Great and his top soldiers came strolling out of the Holy of Holies alive. They couldn't fathom how these pagans could go into the Holy of Holies and not be stricken dead by God Almighty. And here's what began to happen. Word began to spread through Jerusalem and all of a sudden, the Jewish people began to question everything they had believed for centuries. They began to wonder, have we been duped? 
Here for all of these years, they had believed that the Holy of Holies was off limits to everyone except for the high priest once a year. And if someone should try to go in there besides the high priest, they would be struck down. But, but this pagan general and his top soldiers walked in, walked out, nothing happened. They were not harmed. And I'm sure the Jewish people began to wonder if Jupiter, the, the God of the Romans, was more powerful than Yahweh, the God of Israel. And here's where that little bit of history ties into our lesson. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? <laughs> Zechariah was a little boy when that happened. Elizabeth was a little girl when that happened. When Pompey went in, desecrated the Holy of Holies, Zechariah and Elizabeth were children. And no doubt, here's... Here's what's significant. No doubt both of their dads were priests during that era. And more than likely, both Zachariah and Elizabeth remember the day that their fathers came home that evening and, and possibly tore their robes and, and maybe exchanged them for sackcloth and smeared ashes on their faces out of grief because the temple had been desecrated with the presence of a pagan Roman general who ignored all of their traditions and walked into the Holy of Holies and walked out and God did nothing. But this is huge. This is huge. Yet Zechariah, a little boy at the time, still chose to believe God's promises. He still went into the ministry. He went into the priesthood, and Elizabeth still chose to believe God's promises, and, and she married Zechariah the priest, and they both served God their whole lives. And, and I'm sure they questioned some things. I'm sure they questioned why God didn't give them kids. I'm sure they questioned the dark, dark days in Israel when Pompey desecrated the Holy of Holies, and God did nothing. And I'm sure they questioned why God hadn't fulfilled the promise to bless the entire world through this nation. And again, during this time, many, 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 many Jews turned away from temple worship. They turned away from their belief in God, Jehovah. They integrated themselves into Greek life and into Roman life because, after all, in their minds, it was over. But not Zechariah and not Elizabeth. And if you had gone, gone to them at that time, and said, Zach and Liz, dear friends, it's over. Israel would never again rise on the scene of world events. Israel will never again be a major player. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, nothing could ever possibly come from this little itty-bitty, dusty, apparently God-forsaken country that could impact the world. Give it up. Walk away. Enjoy the remaining few years of your life. Because if there is a God, He's abandoned you. If you would have whispered that in their ears, they would have probably stood up and planted their feet and in a loud, firm, and clear voice said, sorry, but we don't care how dark it looks. We don't care how hopeless it seems. And even if we go to our graves childless, we will always believe God because God is a promise keeper. He always, always, always keeps his promises. And the reason this story is so important to you and it's so important to me because, as I said earlier, there are seasons in our lives and seasons in our relationships and seasons in our workplaces and seasons in our health where we begin to wonder, is God listening? Does God care? 
Is he real or is it just a myth? Well, during this Christmas season, a season that comes at the end of a year where a bitter election has furthered the divide in our country, during this Christmas season where a pandemic has brought division and pretty much eliminated any sense of normalcy in our lives, if you would ask the question, is God real? The answer is yes. If you would ask the question, does God care? The answer is yes. If you would ask the question, does God keep his promises? The answer is yes. And here's how the story continues. Verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now let me try to explain this verse here. Essentially, there were 23 groups of priests. And so to decide who would serve for that particular season in and around the temple, they would cast lots. Or it's kind of like, you know, drawing names out of a hat, as some families do around Christmas for gift exchange. But there were 23 groups or or divisions of priests, which means you had about a 4% chance of being chosen to serve in and around the temple of Jerusalem. It was a high honor to be chosen, but your chances of being chosen were slim. And, and as a priest, you might only have that opportunity once or twice in your entire lifetime. But on this occasion, Zechariah's group was chosen. And so Zechariah purified himself, and, and then he went to the place assigned him to serve right outside the curtain that divided the outer temple from the inner part of the temple. Zechariah began to offer incense to God. It was a very sacred and somber occasion. Verse 10 says, And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So the regular people, the non-priests, had vacated that particular area. They were praying outside. Verse 11, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So as Zechariah is being faithful to minister and serve, all of a sudden an angel of the Lord appears. Verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. And and by the way, the standard response of those in the Bible who encountered an angel was always fear. I mean, if you've read the Bible, when the angels appeared, people always started shaking. And the angels always said, do not fear, but they still shook. Uh, You know, when I hear modern-day stories of, oh, I had an angel appear to me. It was just so peaceful. It felt so good. Mm, It's not that I don't believe you, but sometimes I want to say probably not a Bible angel. Because in the Bible, when an angel appeared, people were terrified. But here's what the angel says. This is awesome. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son You are to give him the name John. Now, who do you think this John is? John the Baptist. Now, if you're a Baptist, if you're looking on and you're a Baptist, sorry to burst your bubble, but John wasn't a Baptist. Um, He was just called that because he was the first one that started baptizing people because of their faith in Jesus. Verse 14, he, John, will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And listen to this, many of the people of Israel, this is so key, 
many of the people of Israel will he bring back, bring back to the Lord their God. Now, how was that? Bring back. Well, remember I said that many people had flaked away from serving God? Because in their minds they felt, hey, last 700 years, God's not here. They abandoned their faith. Verse 17, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Now, men, pay attention to this, okay? Zechariah was suave. He was smooth. Here's what he said. I'm an old man, but notice what he says about his wife smart man. He says, and my wife, she's just well along in years. Isn't that smooth? Diplomatic. You know, I'm old. My, my wife, well, she's just well along in years. Smart man. But Zachariah had to be thinking, angel, you're a little late. You know, we started praying for a kid in our 20s. We, we prayed on into our 30s. We even went ahead and prayed through our 40s, even though we knew the window of opportunity was diminishing. And yeah, we kind of prayed into our 50s, but chuckled. We just knew we'd never have a baby. And so Zachariah says, Mr. Angel, and, and by the way, most of the time in our little Christmas Easter dramas, we, we designate angels to be girls, but in the Bible, they normally have boys' names, you know, Gabriel, Michael, but he says, Mr. Angel, how can I be sure that we're going to have a baby? This sounds ridiculous. Verse 19, the angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and, and to tell you this good news, and, and now you will be silent and not be able to speak until this day happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. So Zechariah was so incredulous, he became temporarily mute as a result of it, but he had to be going, wait, 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 Gabriel, you, you mean, and here we're getting kind of to the crux of the matter. You mean God has been hearing our prayers this whole time? You know, generation after generation after generation? So just because God has been silent doesn't mean that he's abandoned us. Verse 21, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And, of course, because he doubted the angel, that was his temporary punishment, couldn't speak. Verse 23, when the time of his service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and, and for five months remained in seclusion. She was quarantined. You know, it's amazing how our times made me really realize that. You, you really think that uh, your 14-day quarantine was bad? She was quarantined for five months. Verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor, taken away my disgrace among the people. What a great story. But can I just say something that, that, uh, that seemingly impossible pregnancy to this old man and this woman well along in years it was not the main event that was just the warm-up act that was just the pre-concert 
concert. That was just the conversation before the conversation. That was just laying the foundation for the main event. And that was just evidence that God was gearing up to fulfill his promise to Abraham and to answer the prayers of, of those who had prayed year after year and remained faithful generation after generation. And God was getting ready to usher in the grand event that would command center stage in the entire universe where even the stars would become guides to lead people to a little manger in Bethlehem. And we won't get into the main event today, but let me wrap up our lesson by reading two final verses that serve just as a little teaser for the main event. Verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel interesting. God, out of the thousands and thousands of angels, sent the same angel he had sent to Zach and Liz to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. You already know what's coming, don't you? I wish I had one more hour. Would you give me another hour? You know, as Winston Churchill, some, I think as Winston Churchill said, the head cannot take in more than the seat can endure. So I'm going to, I guess, be respectful of that. But let me wrap things up by saying this. Zachariah and Elizabeth's story is our story. Their emotions are our emotions. Their doubts are our doubts. Their questions are our same questions that lead us to ask, do we keep on believing or do we stop believing? Do we keep serving in the church or do we just do our own thing? Do we tithe or is that just a practice that has no return on our money? Do we stay in that difficult marriage or, or do we do what everybody else is doing and just walk? Do we break the rules a little bit because no one will know or do we continue to maintain our integrity? If you're a student, do you continue, do you keep being honest or do you cheat like everyone else because they get by with it? If you're single, do you keep trying to maintain your purity but in the process sit night after night longing to hold and be held or do you go out, go with the flow like everyone else? If you're having doubts, welcome to the world of Zachariah and Elizabeth but they decided to stay faithful and keep walking blamelessly before God. And so the question today that we've got to, we've got to hammer out here is, will you be part of that remnant? Even if it seems God is silent. Even if it seems that living a righteous life is not being rewarded. Even if it seems that God has abandoned you, will you be part of that group that is faithful? You know, the song that we sang this morning was, Oh, Holy Night, and I, uh, it was written a long time ago, and Pastor Darren, you know, just does such a great job there, Sensing the Spirit, writ, written by a French poet, and, and a line in this song so captures the idea of this message, Long Lay the World. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, long lay the world in sin and error. And here's a word we don't use much, pining. In fact, I, this morning I went to my computer and I, I researched the word pining. And it just means a, a longing, a, a praying, just fervently waiting, desperation. And, you know, Christmas is a reminder that our longing, that our praying 
our waiting is not in vain. Because even when God is silent, be assured, He's not absent. Because God always, always, always keeps His promises. God, I want to just pray right now for those that may be in a season of waiting. Lord, I pray that you would just show up at the right time. Lord, help us to know that silence isn't absence. Silence doesn't mean that you've abandoned us. And for those, Lord, during this season, they they feel so alone. And Father, I just pray that you would just kind of come up alongside of them. Father, I pray that during this season in which, uh, Father, there are, I think, a lot of people that are questioning, maybe questioning, is it real? I pray, God, that you would just come and give us the assurance that you're there. And so, Lord, uh, I thank you for your word that just, uh, that this, this story so beautifully gives us hope. Lord, I pray hope for those out there that are desperate for hope, those that are discouraged, those that are longing for a change. And Lord, I think several of us, we pray even so, come Lord Jesus. But God, until you come, I pray that we would be faithful, that we would be part of that remnant to be faithful. So God, as we go about our responsibilities this week, just give us hope because hope is born. Hope is born. Thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.